Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Operations Avenue, the Alpha Kappa Psi podcast about chapter operations and general fraternity knowledge. We've got some really fun topics for you this season, and we will be kicking it off with fraternity history, including a special guest interview. So at the table today, we have Amber. I'm the Educational Resource Coordinator for Area 1. Me, Kimberly Millies, Resource Coordinator for Area 2. Hey guys, it's Ruth. I'm your resource coordinator for Area 4. Hey everyone, I'm Alec Morand. I am the associate director of student services filling in here. All right, so like I mentioned today, we are going to be talking about fraternity history, all the little tidbits of knowledge you might not have uh, if you specifically focus on your own chapter's history. Uh, So we will be kicking it off with Alec getting us introduced to AKSI. So, um... As everybody knows, we were founded on October 5th, 1904. But if we go back a couple of years um, to NYU, where our first chapter was founded, we have in fall of 1902, NYU awarded its first business degrees. It's from this that the Alpha Kappa Psi chapter, or Alpha chapter, came about. Um, as everybody knows, the story of the Brooklyn Four, and from there, um, the original 10 founders. On October 5th, 1904, which was Founders Day, um, we have the establishment of the first officers, which were president, secretary, and treasurer. I believe Robert R. Douglas was our first president, and the story continues on March 19th of 1910, where Beta was the second chapter established at the University of Denver. The first expansion criteria for an Alpha Kappa Psi chapter was six students, and everyone must have passed the first year exams at a university in the United States, and it must have a degree in commercial sciences or um, business. That was the first, and from there, we have our chapters today. So, We got our next chapter, the Gamma chapter at Northwestern. Both Gamma and Beta are currently in existence, so shout out to those two chapters. What up, Area (laughs) 2? On November 4th, 1911, Gamma was established. It did not have a degree program, though, but it was understood that the chapter would help work with the university to get a degree there um, to fulfill the same purpose as the degrees that were offered at Um, NYU and Denver. Um, November 16th, 1912, the first convention was held at the um, chapter house at Alpha on Waverly Street. There were three chapters in attendance, Alpha, Gamma, and Delta, which Delta was founded at the University of Pittsburgh and was founded just a couple months before in September of 1912. Unfortunately, Denver could not make the trip due to um, travel issues. Oregon Trail problems. (laughs) Um, This sort of made truly the fraternity um, a national organization. So it went across the Rockies and to to Denver um, and back to the East Coast. So we get to the 1920s. Um, Interestingly enough, the 21st convention which was held in June of, 20, of 1927, was at Palmer House, which is where we currently have our Chicago PBLI each year. So Palmer House is interesting. It's one of the longest-running hotels in the United States and has been open as a hotel um, the most um, of any hotel in the United States. So if you're going to Palmer House this year in Chicago in this February, please... Um, Remember that you're sort of walking in the footsteps of those early um, brothers. Can we get them an honorary initiate? Like, can we get can we get the hotel a membership? <laughs> that would be cool. I mean, put like a plaque in the in the lobby, just like a there's, a big certificate of membership. Site. We can get it like etched into the the marble flooring. Uh huh. <laughs> historic site for AKSI. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so. A lot of things happened between the founding and into the 1920s. The main points from this period was really figuring out the national structure of the fraternity. Um, The Master of Rituals was established. 
the diary was made official. And um, both October 5th and May 20th, our founding and our incorporation dates were made um, official in the official records. Freshmen were authorized to pledge, and the central office was relocated to Indy, which is where we are today. Too true. So I'm going to be picking it up next, starting in 1930. So in 1930, we actually had our official coat of arms created, and it was adopted. In the 1930 convention, we also had the first publication of a pledge training manual, and it from that made ritual robes official and they became available to all fraternity chapters a year later was when we opened our first international chapter beta kappa at the university of western ontario which now designates us as an international fraternity no longer national Mm -hmm. um in 1936 our coat of arms that we had adopted in 1930 actually became the official recognition button or currently our membership pin and was adopted fraternity wide uh the next year in 1937 court of honor was instituted as a pre-ritual ceremony before in or before initiation um and then Hometown shout out, the 27th convention was actually in Milwaukee, Wisconsin at the Schroeder Hotel, where legislation was passed to administer a standard exam to give pledges, what has now become our fraternal exam. Um, Certainly the questions were different. I could not get my hands on a copy from that early, but it would definitely be interesting to see what those questions were. Um, Unfortunately, as we progress through the 40s wartime, all the dudes going over to Europe fighting for freedom. Um, And because of the war, many chapters went dormant. At our lowest during the 1940s, we had 18 active chapters. And um, earlier when I mentioned Beta Kappa, our international chapter, they were the 55th chapter installed. So we lost a good two-thirds of our chapters during that time. Um, However, they did all come back after the war and then at the 1950 convention in minneapolis the constitution was amended to remove christian and of caucasian race as requirements for membership this obviously opened us up to now initiating members of all different races and creeds and a year later the aksi foundation was incorporated in 1951 A year after that was the first professional business. We were the first professional business fraternity to establish a headquarter building, not just a headquarter office. Um, And then to finish out my section, because I only go through 1959, as I was looking through all of our archives, I found something really interesting that I know that so many chapters that I talk to now still find relatable. And that was in a 1956 publication of an alumni newsletter for the beta chapter at the University of Denver. It had a food for thought column and it reads, how many activities are you in? How many hours per week do you spend working for the fraternity? How many motions have you made while an active member? How many rushes have you brought to a fraternity function? If every active spent only the time that you do working for the chapter, do you think this fraternity could continue to function as efficiently? What actual participation have you contributed to this fraternity other than attendance at meetings? And I just think it's really interesting to think about the frustrations and the challenges that many chapters are facing today. You're certainly not alone as we've been dealing with it now for, you know, 70 years it's always going to be there, but you're always going to find support from other people. So definitely uh, know that the Brotherhood will have your back. And I now toss it over to Ruth. Thank you, Ken. That was awesome. All right. So I'm going to be doing 1960 to 1989. Obviously, we're going to start off in the 1960s. Okay. So around that time, we have the number of regions increased to actually 12. Our 33rd National Convention was in Milwaukee, shout out to you, Kim, uh, August 28th to September 1st of 1962. Uh, during that time, 
There was an empowerment of the national vice president to act as a chairman and director of the expansion committee, which is responsible for the creation of a new college chapters. So at that time, yes, there were a lot of chapters. I wanted to go down the list and kind of shout out and list a few of you guys that came around that time. Uh, but there were quite too many to name. Um, so shout out to you guys. Yeah, yeah over 100. <laughs> I asked Kim and I saw the list and I was like, maybe not. But you guys know who you are. So definitely, definitely hats off to you. Uh, college membership dues were increased during that time also to $14. The pledge manual was also resolved also had a revised edition which came out and was issued in 1963. In 1965, the J.D. Sparks Fellows Program was instituted, which was provided to members for their outstanding services uh, during convention. On July 1st, 1969, John D. Sparks, the executive secretary and editor of the diary, since 1928, he retired. We miss you, dude. Uh, Frank J. Breyer, hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly, was appointed as successor of the fraternity as the executive secretary and treasurer. Now for the 1970s. In 1971, the fraternity met in Las Vegas for our 36th convention. During that time, this occurred August 23rd to the 26th of 1971. And this, again, was in Las Vegas. The legislation included a change from two vice presidents to three. It also separated the Southeast region into two regions, which is area four. The Southeast region consisting of Florida and Georgia and the Southern region consisting of Alabama, Mississippi, and Tennessee. And most importantly, during that time, we had our triannual conventions, which is now turned into biannual ones. Now, my favorite, favorite, favorite part, which made me really excited about having this time for our fraternity, was in June of 1972, Title IX of the Education Amendments Act of 1972 was passed, and it brought the beginning of the most significant change in the history of Alpha Kappa Psi. In the fall of 1973, the Delta Chi chapter admitted four women into their chapter and soon granted females full rights and privileges, including participation in rituals. Yes, girl power. 1975 con convention voted the board of directors the authority to change Article 3, Section 1 of the Constitution by deletion of the words must be man and if no legislative recourse could be achieved. When it became apparent that legislation would not be approved, the Board of Directors voted August 7, 1976. You guys make sure you remember that date to admit women into the fraternity. We just had the anniversary of that. Yes, we did. But not when this is airing. <laughs> our 39th National Convention was held in Atlanta, which is one of our locations now. If you guys are attending conventions, make sure you do that. Um, but we actually have our PBLIs, which take place every year in Atlanta. Um, this convention was August 17 to the 21st of 1977. During that time, the fraternity initiated its 100,000th member. We're going to move to the 1980s. In the 1980s, we had a revised ritual, which was issued in April of 1981. Second and third presentations of the Distinguished Service Awards, bronze and silver, second only for bronze, were established during that time as well. So as you guys may be familiar with it, and if you're not, we'll have our website and you can check it out. We have DSAs that go out to brothers and faculty honorary members. In 1983, it was voted that the minimum pledge program period should be five weeks, except for freshmen, whose pledge period was also to be three months unless the regional director saw fit to shorten it because of particular local conditions. I thought this piece was very interesting um, to think that at that time we have individuals pledging and on, you know, going through that process for several months at a time. In 1985, Carol R. Carter was the first woman elected a national officer of AKSI. The Alpha Kappa Psi Fraternity Alumni Directory, the 85th anniversary edition, was published in 1989. Professional enhancement programs regarding planning and management of projects or fundraising events within Alpha Kappa Psi or elsewhere were also instituted, and at that time, a new logo was designed. All right, now we're going to head it over to Amber. All right, so I'm going to be covering the 1990s through today. And I think I have a lot of girl power yes, um, information <laughs> um, in this time period, too. So that lady bosses. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
That starts off with 1991. Eileen Howe became the first female chair of the AKSI Foundation, which is really cool. Um, at the 48th convention in 1995, we voted to establish the board of directors that we still have today. And Wayne R. Miller was elected the fraternity's first chairman of the board. So not girl power, but still good for you, Wayne. <laughs> Um, in July of 1998, we introduced the Yellow Rose Society, which is a giving society for the foundation. Um, that's for students. So a lot of you might have donated to the Yellow Rose Society. And then in 2001, we opened our first UK chapters, and that is at the University of Manchester Institute of Science and Technology, Manchester University and Manchester Metropolitan University. So that was the third country that AKSI was represented in in 2001. So here's some more girl power. At the 51st convention in 2001, Carol R. Carter, who if you remember Ruth just said was the first female vice president, she was also the first female recipient of a gold DSA. So that's Really cool. That she gets awesome. to be the first that is big female shoes. for two things in wow. art history. Um, and then at the 52nd National Convention in 2003, Heather E. Allen became the first female chair of the board. Yes. In 2004. Making those power moves, ladies. Here for it. <laughs> in 2004, we actually moved our headquarters from the John D. Sparks building to the Heritage Center, which is where we are speaking out of right now. And in 2005, at the 53rd convention, this is a special shout out for all of y'all who are still using the word inactive. 53rd convention in 2005, the word inactive was replaced with leave of absence in the Constitution. So... Can't just, you know, just remember that when you're saying that word. It's not a thing anymore. Um, <laughs> also, shout out to everyone who um, still calls us nationals. The word national was also voted to be removed from all documents and titles because at that time we had chapters in three countries. So we're international, not national. Mr. Worldwide. <laughs> At the 54th convention in 2007, Andrea Nemeth was elected the fraternity's first female president. So shout out to you, girl. Yes. In 2008, we restructured the Success Institute to become the PBLI that we know and love today. And then to round it out, in 2013, uh, China became the fourth country with an AKSI chapter after we um, held expansion at Hong Kong. So shout out to you, Kai-Fi. Thank you, Amber, for closing out our current history. Um, I'd just like to give a shout out to everyone in this room because we are part of the current AKSI history. Um, all of us have joined staff over the course of the last like four years, and I hope that you guys listening also take advantage of how you will be a part of AKSI as a member. So that is all from us. So we're going to move into our interviews with our special guest. And now we welcome to the Operations Avenue podcast, Clarence Steele and Wendy Wendroff. We're super excited to have you both here to answer some questions and give our listeners a unique perspective on everything that you have seen throughout your membership in Alpha Kappa Psi. So Clarence, I'm going to start with you. When did you initiate into AK Psi and what initially led you to join the fraternity? Well, I initiated in 1985. And uh, of course, when I initiated, I was not a freshman. I was a junior. And really what led me uh, into joining the fraternity or actually seeking out the fraternity is, uh, you know, I would have classes with some of the brothers and they would wear their letters and I got into discussions with them about, you know, their organization and things like that. And, you know, finally I gave in and went to Rush. Uh, 
And I will tell you that I wish I had done it earlier because uh, the brotherhood that they just exhibited and the friendships and the bonds that I could see among them there in the College of Business because, you know, that's where the focus was at that point. Uh, it was just tremendous. And I do not regret it. One of the best decisions I ever made in my life. I just wish I had done it earlier. Yeah, I feel like that's a story that we hear from so many members is like, oh, I was friends with everyone and then I just joined and then I met even more close friends. Like, I feel like that is something so many people can relate to. Um, Wendy, how about you? When did you initiate and what led you to initially joining AKSI? I uh, initiated at Tri-State University, now called Trine University, a very small private uh, university in the fall of 1980. I was a junior like Clarence, um, came to the program a little bit later. Um, I joined two reasons. The reason that I joined a little later on and not in my freshman year was because my best friend in college was only on an associate degree program and Alpha Kappa Psi only takes people who are doing having a bachelor's degree. So I wanted to have someone to go with me on this journey. So she came back to school to get a bachelor's degree, so she became eligible to join. So that was one reason that led me to join. Um, the other reason is one that we never like to hear from people and that I really felt it would be a resume builder. <laughs> I really didn't do much on campus. Um, I And I just felt that going into my junior year that I really needed to put something on my resume that um, would really help and a conversation starter as well on your resume. And so that was that was really my primary reason to join. And I guess it turned out all right. I super relate to that. I will be honest, I joined kind of for the same reason. Like I wanted something that was going to stick out on my resume and I never thought I'd end up working at the Heritage Center. But like, I love helping students, and this has just been such an unanticipated benefit of, of membership. So awesome to hear that from you. Um, Wendy, I think I'm going to start off with you for this next question. What is the most impactful change that you have seen as a brother in the organization? Certainly, we've had a great amount of change over the last 40 years based on our um, the leadership in our staff, the leadership in our volunteers. But I think that the most impactful thing that I have seen is when we went from you had to be a business major to you could you would be eligible for membership if you had an interest in business. And that really opened up um, the group of people that were around you, the different majors. Um, I know that when I was in college, um, we called it computer science. Um, that was not in the school of business, so we had to get special permission in order to have computer science people um, that we could initiate. And so I think that that's really been the, the most impactful. It certainly brings a broad variety of people and careers and opinions to every chapter and the fraternity as a whole. And it certainly, you know, everybody has an interest in business. It really doesn't matter what you do. For a living, you have an interest in business. If you're a dentist, you run your own business. If you're a doctor, you run your own practice. So um, that is really what I think, um, aside from maybe women being initiated, but I came in after that was already that had already happened. So mm -hmm. it really, it certainly made an impact to me because I could become a member, but um, that happened years before I was actually initiated. Awesome. Clarence, how about you? What was the most impactful change that you've seen in your time as a brother? Well, you know, there's actually a couple of big ones. And but first, I want to join in with Wendy when she mentions about the fraternity taking women. Uh, I just want to point out that the chapter I initiated into, Zeta Upsilon at Tennessee Tech, at the time when I initiated, it was still an all-male chapter even though it was many years after the fraternity had decided and made the uh, the change to open it up to women, I mean, of course, which was a great change, we as a chapter had not made that change. I 
actually joined the fraternity not knowing that it was co-ed. That, oh, the wow. brothers didn't present that to us. So a part of our history and change after I became a brother, uh, we, we still had little sisters. We had sweethearts. We had that whole gamut, just like a social fraternity did. And we operated very much like that on the social side. But, you know, we received a mandate soon after I had joined in because I was the last little sister chairman for that chapter. And we were told by what we just always referred to as headquarters that uh, they would look at suspending our charter if we did not actively uh, rush and, you know, pledge and induct, initiate women. So we made that change while I was still there in, in my home chapter. That so while it had happened many years before and others, I lived it. I got to live it. And it was one of the greatest changes that we made as a chapter. But then when, you know, when I first thought of this question, I was thinking a little more globally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the most impactful changes to me has been programming. The offerings that the Heritage Center provides for the members and, you know, I can go down the list like PBLI, the President's Academy, the volunteer training, uh, you know, the things that are set up at con- at the convention. This was my first convention, but still it was amazing all the offerings that were still available because I remember back in the mid-80s, mid and latter 80s, those things did not exist. If we were looking for some kind of professional training and self-building and all that kind of stuff, we sort of had to go seek it out as opposed to the fraternity going, here is a benefit we are providing you. You are a brother and we are here for you and here's something we're giving to you to use as a tool. And it's it's great that that has happened. And so to me, that's what immediately came to my mind because I was thinking, you know, we should have so many great things. Even the webinars that, you know, have been done. There are different ways that you can get training that we didn't have then. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really interesting that you initiated into a chapter even after the decision to admit women. Because um, I've heard a lot of chapters who had the opposite experience where they had been initiating women um, prior to the decision from nationals at that point. We weren't international yet. Uh, but uh, that they would just like put their initials down on the initiation sheet so that no one knew that they were actually women. And then when we would do like staff visits out to chapters that they would just be like, don't come to that meeting. Like, <laughs> so it's interesting to hear that opposite perspective. I think that's, that's so different. <laughs> All right. So on to my, yeah, I think, the, Oh, go ahead, uh, Wendy. Yeah. What's up? Um, I think that, um, when it was proposed, it was based on the, a chapter-by-chapter decision. Mm. So, yes, Kimberly, you're right. There were people who were already initiating women, but you didn't have to. I think much of that change came with Title IX because mm-hmm. um, I was a regional director in what was then the Midwest region in 1990, and one of the chapters that I had was all-male. So I was the first female to ever go to one of their chapter meetings and to um, make a circle and sing the song, sing our anthem and that type of thing. So that was quite an experience, not only for me, but for them as well. Yeah. Um, So it it wasn't like you have to do this. It was, uh, okay, here's your choices. You can do this now. There did come a point where you had to do it, but much of that came when, again, with Title IX, so... Yeah. Kind of circling back to your experience, can you speak to the experience you had when you were in the chapter and potentially any similarities or differences you've seen, you've seen um, compared to chapter operations today? Wendy, I'm going to let you kick this one off. Um, I'd say the biggest similarity certainly is that it's certainly still about brotherhood and friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, the first convention I went to was in um, 1981, and I met two people there, Eileen Howell and uh, Carol Carter, who to this day are still among the my confidants and the best friends that I have. Um, so that aspect of things has certainly not changed. 
Um, the differences, I think, come more from um, the society as a whole. You know, when mm-hmm. I was a first original director in the early 90s, if you wanted to communicate to every chapter all at the same time, you typed a letter. Oh, my God. I can't. And you waited for it to go in the mail, and you hoped that they would get it. There was either that or certainly you could pick up a phone and call. But this way, at least with mail, you you would hope that that letter got passed around to all the executive board and such. So from that perspective, the level that we can communicate is tremendously different. I mean, I sit in the office at night and I have a Facebook message coming and I have a text and no one ever calls me anymore, but that's all right. Um, There's an email. So there's a million different ways um, to communicate and to do it pretty quickly. You know, when we had a problem back before all of these these communications um, things that we have currently, it took a while to resolve it because you had to find out what the problem was. And so certainly the speed of that has all has all changed. Yeah. I do also think that the student member today is far more mature than um, what I was in the early 80s. I mean, I had never had a job. I Really, the first job I had was the summer I wanted to go to convention because my parents said they wouldn't pay for it. So I had to go find myself a job. I was 20 years old. Um, so I think that there are a lot more life experiences out there with our student members than what I would have been at the same age. Interesting. Clarence, what about you? Um, can you speak to your membership experience and the similarities and differences that you see now? Well, as far as looking at you know similarities, uh, of course, one thing I love about the fraternity is the fact that the rituals just bond us all together. So, you know, being able to, as a volunteer now to go to mid-court or honor court or, you know, even pledge induction or even a rush event, you know, a lot of those have the same feel and tone. Getting back to Wendy's point about it being, you know, about the brotherhood and the bonds and that, those similarities are, are so great. And I, I love that about us. And I always continue to tell everyone, you know, the rituals are a big part of what, you know, separate us from everybody else. That's what makes us a fraternity and not a club or just a regular organization. Uh, but, you know, taking a step back and just observing some of these chapters that I work with, uh, it's truly a training ground. And mm-hmm. it was for me when I was an active in the chapter, you know, looking at different roles that I had and things that I would do, you know, I can directly attribute that to the way that I would approach or handle some situations in my work life. Now, fine-tuning it along the way because we all mature over time and things like that, but just, you know, giving you a base on which to, you know, approach some things, uh, you know, truly, I see that in the members today. It's still that training ground. It's still that rubber meets the road or, you know, whether it's even dealing with the social aspect of it. We didn't have social media then, but, you know, navigating the waters of dealing with people that are your family, they're your chosen family, uh, can be a little different than just dealing with the general population. And so figuring that out, watching them do it, knowing that I've done it, those similarities are just so, so great. And I'm glad to see that that kind of thing still exists. You know, differences, back to a lot of what Wendy was talking about, you know, the communication, the social things, like, you know, even social media, these students today present themselves and are presenting themselves at an earlier age to the public as it is now. The way that we had to get ourselves known is by presenting ourselves ourselves in person or via paper and trying to get that translated. And while some of that still happens, you know, you can learn a lot about a person just looking at Facebook or Instagram or, you know, seeing how they comment on Twitter. So, you know, those kind of differences, it's not a negative. It's just a different way of the world. And it's just interesting to watch how they navigate all that 
But a lot of the same issues that they deal with or some of the ones we dealt with, you just didn't know about them as quick. Awesome. Yeah, I definitely hear what both of you are saying. Like, it's so funny to think of how difficult things were. And you didn't you didn't think it was difficult because that's just how it was. But, like, whenever I need to go and, like, look through chapter records to find something, I see that typed on a typewriter, uh, letters that were sent, you know, in, in early days of a chapter who's been around a while. And it's just crazy to think, like, well, if they messed up, they had to retype it things that we would never even think about now. So really interesting. Um, the next question. Is yeah, let guys. me, let me, yeah. can I interject a little story? Of so, course um, you can. <laughs> after uh, I worked for a short time at, at the uh, Heritage Center and um, found out that that's exactly what they did. Every chapter had this huge ledger book. And um, Connie, who had worked for J.D. Sparks, she worked part-time at that point, and she would come in a couple of days a week, and that was her job was to, to log the new members. So she would find these humongous books that weighed like 15 pounds, given, you know, alpha, beta, gamma, those chapters that have been around for a long time. She would find the page of the last entry she'd made. She'd open the binder. She'd roll it in the, in the typewriter, and then she would number it for the next consecutive number of, of a member. Then she'd take it out of the typewriter and she'd put it back in the book and she would then put the book away. I mean, imagine the storage space that we had to have in order to be able to accommodate that. And, um, you know, now do it all electronically, paper. Um, which I certainly will tell you too, that if you've ever gone to the Heritage Center, in the back room, there are stacks of cabinets that have membership forms, an M1 and M2, M3. And at that point in time, they did all mean something. Mm-hmm. So the the way that we operate, every business is this way. The way that we operate is so so much more so much more efficient, so much more and so much quicker. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, stacks on stacks on stacks of records back there. <laughs> All right, so my next question for you, Wendy, I'm going to let you kick it off. What is your favorite memory that you have because of AKSI? That can be a memory you have in the chapter, a memory you have as a volunteer, a memory just with someone because you know them through AKSI. Like, what? what's your favorite? Well, for those people that know me, they know that I am married to a fraternity brother, and um, that was that. I know, isn't that a shock? <laughs> Never um, heard of him. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm thinking two or three people on here might not know who I am. So, um, Dave and I had been. Um, I, I joke for the last six people among our fraternity friends, so we were best to be together. But um, we um, started long distance. That was how we met. Was through. Dave lived in Oregon. I lived in Indiana. So we didn't go to school together. We volunteered, and that was how we how we knew each other. So we had been dating for about two years this, to the game, and we were at the convention. This was 2001 in New Orleans. It was the first convention that I that I chaired. And during the celebration of Brotherhood, because at that time Dave was the um, chairman of the board, so Dave was in the up, up in the front at um, reading the script. And again, for those of you who the celebration of Brotherhood, this is an opportunity for you to share. You know, we people come up to the microphone, they talk about what Alpha Campus I has meant to them, what it has done for them, their experience, that type of thing. So we had, um, there were a lot of great stories, a lot of people sharing, and um, to talk. It was, again, a little interesting because his part was scripted. He wasn't supposed to share a story. <laughs> and he started talking about us. And the last thing I remember is that he said that there was one question he had yet to ask, and that was, would you marry me? So in front of, at that time, 600 brothers, he came down off the stage with a 
and proposed in front of all of Elf Gansai in New Orleans. So that is by far my favorite memory, even though there are so many miracles, but um, that's definitely the number one. So sweet. He was obviously so impressed with how well you chaired convention that we're never going to let you quit. She's not the only one. All right, Clarence. Well, um, I'm going to now let you take the floor and try and top that with your favorite AKSI memory. Well, first, I want to commend Wendy for making sure that she remembered the correct favorite story that her husband and everyone else who was there would remember. So kudos <laughs> are, to you, yeah. Wendy. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> no, and that's an off. That is an awesome story. I and I wouldn't even try to uh, upstage her on that because we all know how that turned out, and that's great. Uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, we are still married. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> and and you know, and I love both of y'all. That's right. We love you too. Uh, Thank you. For me, you know, one of my favorite memories is uh, is going to surround. It's going to surround the house. We had a house. My chapter mm-hmm. had a house, and it was the hub, the center of activity. It's where we could all gather. It's where we could all, you know, just get together for homecoming, hot roast, all that kind of stuff. But you know, we were on the quarter system. If that lets you know some, some others know that. Uh, came after me, you know, they're on semesters now. (laughs) We, uh, you know, having the house was just a great thing. I got to live in it my last quarter. And actually one of the first female brothers that was initiated lived across the hall from me my last quarter. Uh, So we were sharing, you know, the main floor. But the the nice thing about it is I was technically a part-time student because I only had two classes left my final quarter and they were both electives and I'm the eternal obnoxious morning person so I took them first thing in the morning so I would have the rest of the day available to myself so I was always at the house ready for whoever was going to show up so that I could continue to bond and build those friendships and you know just continue the brotherhood with my brothers and you know, it, it sounds sort of, you know, party-wise flippant, but uh, it was really one of the best things ever in my experience in the fraternity was to be able to, my last quarter while I was there, to really solidify the bonds with a lot of these brothers. I mean, I'm talking, you know, some of them are guys who stood up with me when I got married. They've been there through different things. You know, I still get together with one for rival football games because we like different colleges. Uh, and so, you know, there's a lot to be said for that, and that's just one of my favorite memories. Totally different from Wendy's, not competing with her at all. But, uh, yeah, that's it for me. That's like the per- – I feel like that's like just an elongated, perfect senior send-off. Like, you just get to live in a house with your best friends you get to hang out with all the time. Like, that's – so much fun. <laughs> All right. Well, I have one more question for you guys. Um, and Clarence, I will let you take this one first. What keeps you engaged with AKSI so many years later after having been a member? Well, first I must confess that there was a large block of years where I was not engaged with the fraternity. Uh, and I will tell you that now being back, because I've been advising for and volunteering for, I think it's going on four years now. Uh, you know, this was the right time for me. I've always been a person who believes in giving back or trying to help when I can, but I also try to be very cognizant and aware of where I am at what stage in my life and my life cycle with family and all that, because I'm very protective of, you know, family time and and things like that. Uh, But, you know, it's one of those things that being at this point in my life, I wanted to re-engage with the fraternity. And it has turned out to be one of the most gratifying and fulfilling experiences that I've had in a long time. Uh, I also love the fact that, you know, full support of family, you know, my wife, my daughter, 
they're, they're all like, yeah, you should go do this because I, you know, thought about it and uh, fraternity was waving the flag going, is anybody interested in volunteering? And, you know, Wendy even knows. She met me when I was ripe and just fresh in working, uh, learning as a volunteer. She, and she'll take credit for this. She is to blame. We'll call blame instead of giving credit for me being on Facebook. I avoided it <laughs> like the plague before. However, that is one of Wendy's many claims to fame, and that is getting Clarence on Facebook. Uh, but yeah, I just, I believe that when the time is right, people should use their knowledge, their tools, and hopefully their life experiences to guide the next generation. I don't know that in this age of social media and always an electronic presence, if, you know, if it's providing the mentorship that I think everybody can benefit from. So I would encourage anybody who is considering volunteering, do it. Make sure you do it when it's right. Because what you don't want to do, or what I don't think anybody wants to do, is to do it when uh, the time isn't right and you don't have the right experience or you're not in the right mindset to do what's best. I mean, you know, this is this is us. We are a KSI. It doesn't matter at what point in our lives. And so me loving the opportunity to give back, that's what drives me. That's, you know, it, when I've taken all these personality tests, one of my main uh, things that gives me pleasure and joy is helping others succeed. Mm -hmm. And so that's really what it comes down to as far as me volunteering and giving back and being engaged. Well, let me take a moment just to say thank you so much for coming back. Um, I feel like that's definitely something that we appreciate more than you ever know because um, gosh knows that a handful of people that I work with at the Heritage Center, we could not do this without you and Wendy and everyone else. So thank you so much for returning to make an impact and continue to aspire, inspire the next generation. So Wendy, how about you? What has kept you engaged with AKSI? Well, first let me say I'm taking credit for Clarence being on Facebook. You, you, um, give, yes, you give I the did. people what they want. You give the people I, what they want. I did. Uh, he, we met at a fraternity advisor conference. Uh, he was at my table, and I was um, the small group facilitator. And let me tell you, he was not to be wrangled. He had <laughs> questions. He wanted to know how things were going. And he was new, I think maybe 30 days. I'm not even sure he had met the chapter at that point in time. So um, it is delightful to see have met his wife at convention and um, nice that he is, he has come back, but he's right. You do. There is definitely a time and a place for everything. I've been fortunate enough to be able to be engaged in the fraternity through really my whole fraternal experience, sometimes more than others. Um, sometimes just on a committee. Sometimes I just went to convention um, because your life goes through a lot of stages and you need to make sure that what you're, that Alpha Kappa Psi is the right spot for that stage of your life. Um, but what really keeps me engaged is, is the people. It's people like Clarence that I met a few years ago um, at a fraternity advisor conference. It's the people that I have, that I met at the first convention I went to in 1981 that I continue to, um, visit. I mean, I'm going to Houston next month to see Eileen and her husband. So it is definitely the people that I continue to come back for. Not only those people that I already know, but those people that I'm going to meet still. Um, and it has just been a, a real blessing in my life, Alpha Kappa Psi, aside from the fact that obviously that, that is how I met my husband. But subsequently, too, we have two nephews and a niece who are also brothers. Um, so we get to share that experience with them. My brother-in-law and sister-in-law were initiated as honorary members at convention. So it is definitely a family experience. 
Um, my parents have been to, I'm going to say maybe seven or eight conventions. Mm-hmm. So it is definitely the people and the brotherhood. And, you know, you already have something in common. I mean, and I think that that is the biggest asset that Alpha Kappa Psi has to anyone is that right away, your your acquaintances, your friends, you, again, have something in common. You have a um, something that you can bond over. And I just think that the people that make up this organization are among the best people ever, no matter what business, no matter what government, no matter anything. Well, again, like I said to Clarence, thank you for all that you have done for this organization, for all the things hundreds of people have seen and already thanked you for, and thank you for literally the millions, 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 probably trillions of things you've done that no one has noticed because you do it so effortlessly. So thank you for conventions and for being an RD and everything that I don't even know about, but thank you. Um, and I thank you. It is truly, it is, it is really my pleasure uh, because it, the other thing, you know, if you're not getting something out of this, then you need to take another look. Um, For sure. This isn't just, this isn't just some altruistic um, thing that I that I do. I definitely receive just as much as what I give. I love hearing that. So um, in conclusion, I will say thank you to everyone who is listening right now. Definitely share it with your brothers. Share it on social media. Share it wherever you feel like sharing. And share back with us, too. Um, If you have a topic you'd like to hear us talk about, feel free to reach out to your CERC or just email all of us at CERC at AKSci.org. We are happy to hear all suggestions and answer any questions. We'll talk to you guys next time.